Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. There's something in Mark Halpern's wide world of news today that says more clearly what I was stumbling for words to express in the last hour of the program when we were talking about Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, who at this moment literally is behind closed doors pleading guilty to tax charges. And, and here's what Mark writes in the wide world of news today from a wide world of news reader with insight, clarity and veracity about all of this, largely unavailable from the dominant media. Blue, red, purple, MAGA, no polls on this, but suspect parents who've experienced the helpless personal torture, the relief and relapses in a loving child dissolving in drugs and alcohol are inclined to cut Joe some slack. You will do anything to save them, keep them alive, hoping this time the plane will pull up before the final crash. Did dad enable the sole survivor of the original three? You bet. Did Hunter steal from him to buy drugs? Absolutely. Did Joe walk the tightrope legally, politically, desperately to save his kid? No question. This is a profoundly human moment on display. No one leaves the stratosphere of American politics with an empty wallet. Joe doesn't need the money. He needed and still wants his son back. He will do anything within his power, but it's a miracle only Hunter can perform. This is Mark Halpern. Mark, I am so pleased that you included that in the wide world of news today, because to me, that's what drives the myriad of Hunter issues. Michael, you know, you're so proud of your listeners and so connected to them, and I'm so proud of my readers and so connected to them, and they send me just the most insightful things. And this is a reader who has just sent that to me. I asked him if I could publish it. And, you know, there's a paradox here. You've got the most powerful person in the world who's powerless to deal with his son's troubles. And he's tried so mightily, and we've got insight into that in part, again, ironically, from Hunter's laptop, some of the messages that his father sent him for oral uh, text messages and, and voice messages. But but it's so easy to look at all of this through a political prism and, the, and the, you know, the politics of 2020, the politics of 2024, but when you get down to it, I think what my reader is saying is this is about a father dealing with an adult son who has a long stretch of addiction, a lifetime of addiction, uh, you know, in some ways, and who every day is on the nice edge. And um, that, again, as you said, that, that, that that's the best way to understand a lot of what's going on rather than the political or the legal. Did did Joe Biden dig himself in when he told Steve Ducey during the course of the campaign Never, never had he spoken to Hunter about his overseas business interests, because that doesn't pass the smell test. Well, what a foolish thing to say on a number of levels. First of all, this is not a father who's uninterested in his son's life. There's a father who's very interested in his son's life. You think it's possibly plausible that they wouldn't discuss uh, how Hunter was doing, and, and Hunter was clearly desperate to make a lot of money, uh, pay for kids, pay for divorce, pay for other things, his, his addictions. And just, you know, one of the things that really uh, gnaws at me is as far as I know, no one has ever said to the president, how could you have flown your son to China on Air Force Two, have your son get off the plane, strike a big, you know, very lucrative deal and you get back on the plane and you don't say, hey, honey, what'd you do today? It's just it was silly. And so the White House has switched its posture, as you and many of your listeners know, from saying 
never talked about business with them to never in business with them. And of course, why the change, number one, and number two, never in business could mean never signed a deal, you know, never officially was a business, but it opens the door to the, the, the widespread speculation with backup by people who, who had insight into the Bidens, uh, Hunter's dealings to say, helped him out. Now, again, if Joe Biden, private citizen, uh, got on a speakerphone and said to people Hunter was doing business with or trying to do business with, hey, I hope, I hope you and Hunter do great together, most people would say business as usual. That's what powerful people do. But the fact that Joe Biden has said never done anything like that is opening him up to a political problem that could be could be immense. So where do you see this going next week when Devin Archer testifies in front of a House committee? Well, we all need to remember that this is slated to be a private uh, appearance, the deposition. This is not a public hearing. So, you know, what gets leaked out, what gets said? I mean, Devin Ar- Archer, if, if his lawyer is to be believed and if the New York Post is to believe, at least in part, is going to say Joe got on the speakerphone. Now, again, people are treating this like a revelation. We have photos and other previous accounts of Joe Biden hanging out with Hunter's business associates. Now, was he doing it for fun? Did he just happen to have a free night? You know, I think it's pretty clear that Hunter saw uh, his father, as as Joe's brother does, too, and as as a way to bring in business. Again, not uncommon. Rich, powerful people, including people in elective office and out of elective office who've been in elective office. It happens all the time. It's just this is off brand for Joe Biden, number one. And number two, he's, he has said for months, never did anything like this. One more question, if I may, on the Democratic side of the aisle, and then I want to talk about the Republican candidates for president. Uh, RFK Jr., as detailed in the wide world of news today, his own worst enemy. Oh, I mean, you and I haven't talked about him lately, but we talked about him early on when we both were right. so impressed with his announcement event, so impressed with his ability to strike a chord on a range of issues where not just Joe Biden is politically vulnerable, but where the establishment of both parties are vulnerable. And I just... I mean, you know, part of this is technical competence. It's just certain things you can't say, shouldn't say, uh, or you pay a price. But, but it's too, it's too many times. It's, 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 there's something wrong here with a guy who is trying to be, convince the country that he should be the Democratic nominee for president, the president of the United States, who comes from a family of politicians who can't stop saying things that are, you know, at best, at best are controversial. And, you know, one of my readers said to me today when I wrote what I wrote, this is all orchestrated. You know how you're such a dupe to fall for this. This is the, the Biden forces of the establishment. And there's no doubt that that they have they have stepped up to take advantage of these situations. But you you cannot argue. I don't believe that you should be entrusted as a major party nominee or president of the United States when you're so tone deaf about what the traffic will bear, about the kinds of things you can say. And he's constantly trying to justify them, deny them, explain them say he was misunderstood. And that that that's true in some cases. But this is just too much. And I think I think uh, uh, this is not going the direction at all that you and I had thought earlier. Well, to, to the to the point of your reader, I would just say this. The as Mark Halpern would say, the legacy media was giving him zero coverage up until the point where he hits 20 percent. And then all of a sudden, anything there was that was gaffish in nature they pounced on and the coverage that he gets in the legacy outlets is usually inspired by 
you know, what he said now that they want to they want to call him out for? Well, look, it's complicated. Part you and I; these are the issues you and I, you know, we get criticized for raising, but they're, but we're amongst the only voices who will point it out. Part of the legacy media is is, is their theater critics, right? Political reporters, you know, if somebody makes a gaffe, if somebody makes an error, they'll pounce on over that almost regardless of who it is. They also don't want Donald Trump to be elected president, and and Kennedy's threat to Biden is a threat to Trump getting elected, and so they want to attack him for that. Uh, but then lastly, again, some of the things he said are beyond controversial. They are they are worthy of extreme scrutiny. And when he's asked to explain them or when he chooses to explain them, he often does not clear them up. And so the press is playing the proper role, not a gotcha role, not a protect Biden to keep Trump out of the White House role, but a proper role in saying, Mr. Kennedy, you've said this. Explain what you mean. What is your evidence? What is what is uh, you know, what, what are your feelings about people who are offended by this? That is not mutually exclusive with there is no doubt that this is a the, you know, the, 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 the conspiracy between the pro Biden anti Trump forces and the legacy media to make sure that these things get publicity. That's that's true. Also, Mark, you lead today's wide world of news with the uh, the ouch index. And in regard to Ron DeSantis, you cover some things that are not going well for for him. I mean, at, at what point has he been afforded enough time to introduce himself? And maybe you're going to tell me we're already there where you say it's just not happening for this guy. He's he's locked in somewhere in the low 20s and it's not going to go higher. I love a good comeback story, and I don't think we should take this away from the voters. Not a single person has voted, but this guy's on a trajectory to have no money uh, to run a campaign. And despite firing a third of his staff and despite making noises about cutting spending, I see no indication he's giving up luxury travel. It's hard to get from Tallahassee to Manchester, New Hampshire. It is. You can't, if you do that commercial, you're going through Atlanta, then you're going to Boston. It's hard. But you know what? When, they, when he thought about running for president and he hired his staff and he, and he formulated a budget, he knew he lived in Tallahassee. This is not a surprise. And so he wants to fly charter. I'd like to fly charter too, but I can't afford it. And he can't afford it. So there's the basic question of, uh, of money. And, but beyond that, which I, which I point out in the newsletter today, I was always skeptical that he'd be a good grassroots fundraiser. What makes a good grassroots fundraiser? It's a, it's a kind of a mystical question because there are people like Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, when he ran for president, who I thought would be a good grassroots fundraiser. He was not. And if you're not a good grassroots fundraiser, first of all, you run out of money because there's not enough big checks that you can get, no matter who you are. And number two, it, it's so complicated to raise and time consuming to raise big checks because you have to fly. He spent yesterday in Tennessee, no early primary in Tennessee. But he had to go there because he had to go to some fundraisers. And then lastly, if you can't raise grassroots money, you do not have grassroots support. And if you do not have grassroots support, there's something uh, false about going around claiming you're leading a movement, which is what his team says. So uh, he can come back, but he's going to have to show a fortitude and a campaign style and a connection with voters heretofore unseen on the presidential stage. Maybe he has it, but it is heretofore unseen. Is Vivek Ramaswamy having a moment? Oh, absolutely. And and I think you and I shared this prediction early on from literally the minute I saw his first interview. I said, this guy will be in this. This guy is the is is the comparison's been made in its app. This guy's like Pete Buttigieg. He's just he's young, he's intellectual, he's fun, he's not taking himself too seriously on the presidential stage, he's working really hard, and he's saying things that are interesting. 
And all that adds up to in this field where, unfortunately, for most of the other people running, you can't say that about about most of them. Um, He was clearly going to have his moment. Now he's got a ceiling and he's running in a contest with a guy who's 50 points ahead of the field. So does his moment mean he's going to get Trump one on one? Does his moment mean he's going to finish second in Iowa? He might finish second in Iowa, but it's going to be very difficult for him to get Trump one on one and beat Trump one on one. And as you know, he's gotten next to no scrutiny by his by his adversaries. And if he does go into second place, if he does start to rise up where it looks like he's a problem, you'll see some opposition research. And and one of the other uh, camps, I, I can't say who, but one of the others the other day said to me, you would not believe the opposition research on this guy. And it's not ancient history. He's out there doing all this media, including this alternative media, and he is leaving behind a paper trail of controversial statements. Now, maybe he can explain them away. Maybe voters won't care. But again, you think about Ben Carson in in, uh, 2016. You think about um, Newt Gingrich, Rick Santorum. When people have unexpected or semi-unexpected success, then the scrutiny comes, aided and abetted by the rivals over the trans opposition research. So let's see how he does. But he's certainly having a moment now, and it's well-deserved because he's working hard, which I like to see in presidential candidates. Mark, to your point about opposition research, uh, I read one of his recent books in anticipation of hosting him for a town hall, which I did a couple of weeks ago. And in a chapter of his book, Vivek Ramaswamy talks about the need for there to be what would be a record high estate tax. And in reading the book, you think to yourself, this is not going to fly in front of Iowa farmers. This is not going to fly with a lot of Americans, but it's certainly not going to fly in Iowa. And I made a point of asking him about it. uh, And this is all on the tape. And interestingly, he told me that what I what I had read in the book was a quote unquote thought experiment. And well, it wasn't identified. It (laughs) wasn't identified as a thought experiment in the book. So I think that's a very concrete example of what you're describing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'll tell you, as much as I was I was, uh, uh, you know, saw his potential early on. I also saw this when he went on Hugh Hewitt's radio show. Hugh Hewitt um, asked almost everyone on the show which leg of the triad do they consider to be the most important. And, and you know, if you have a decent staff and, and, and you understand the game here, you know to how to answer that question when you go on Hugh Hewitt's radio show. He's talking about the nuclear triad uh, of land, sea, and air. And uh, he had no idea what it was. He said, what's the triad? Very similar to the mayor of Miami saying, uh, yeah. who are the Uyghurs? So, so that that sent a warning to me that this guy was going to be pretty fast and loose that that contrasts him with Pete Buttigieg who every time I've ever talked to him or seen him can answer pretty much any question about anything he had some blind spots and and that's going to extend to both ignorance of some things and then you know saying some stuff that you can call them thought, thought experiments uh throwing a stuff up against the wall whatever you want but at the level he's trying to play now that you know in, in history suggests it's going to cause him some problems but he's a very okay. skilled guy he's a very likable guy um, we've not yet uttered, I've not uttered, you've not uttered the name Donald Trump. That is shocking as, uh, as we wind down. <laughs> Today is the 26th, 26th of July. We are now within a month of that first debate. What does, what does your spidey sense tell you as to whether Donald Trump debates? Well, I didn't have to rely on spidey sense on this one because whenever I came on with you or wrote in the newsletter or anywhere else I spoke publicly said, doesn't look to me like he's going. I would get a call from a senior Trump official saying, Stop saying it doesn't seem like he's not going. His top aides don't want him to go. He's he Donald Trump. Donald Trump never makes any decision until he absolutely has to. Right. He's like Joe Biden in that respect. And so 
He continues to toy, I'm told, with the prospect of going. Kellyanne Conway, who's pretty close to him, said the other day on a TV interview that maybe TV appearance, maybe he would go. Um, I, I think he skips the first two and goes to the third one, if I if you ask me to bet. But again, it's Trump, and, and he may see some reason to go. But he said quite openly, why should I go stand on stage with these folks? I think I think he'll he'll do an interview. If you ask me to just like predict with the Ouija board, he'll do an interview with Tucker Carlson the night of the debate, and that'll get a higher rating than the debate itself. That'd be my prediction. But I wouldn't be surprised if he went because <clears throat> he does like a good show. He will be called, you know, names by Chris Christie and others if he doesn't go wimp and, you know, other things. And so maybe he'll go. But but again, if you were betting just based on what he said publicly, what I've been told, what you've probably been told, I doubt he'll go the first one. I doubt he'll go the second one. But, you know, stay tuned. And and uh, and if he does, go, if he does go, it'll get a lot of ratings. And if he doesn't, I'm not sure what, what kind of interest there'll be. I would expect that by the time of the debate, which is August 23rd, he will have been indicted for the third time. I mean, if I simply go by the last time that Trump revealed he'd been the recipient of a target letter and how long thereafter the actual indictment flowed, I just think it's going to happen. Now, I wonder if that changes his calculus at all. Well, if you're going to Vegas and putting down some money or if you're in London at Ladbrokes, I bet on tomorrow is being indicted tomorrow. He might be indicted in Georgia by the, by the debate, too. Um, I don't I don't know that 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 impacts it in some linear way. I think the argument for going is uh, is is things are going well now and he's pretty good at debating, you know, and and it'll be a crowded stage. You won't have to talk that much. And why why take on the problem? I, I really do believe that the voters will not care if he skips it. Now, remember, he's in Wisconsin. If it were in Iowa or New Hampshire. And he skipped an Iowa debate last time, and, and who knows if that's what could have been second in Iowa caucuses. If it were in Iowa New Hampshire, I think that the risk of skipping it would be greater. But again, his senior aides are like, they don't see a risk. When you ask them, like, cost-benefit analysis, they don't mm-hmm. see a risk of skipping mm-hmm. it. There's a, risk of go- there's a risk of going. I mean, the only thing, you know, I ask people, spend so much time asking people, particularly people who don't want Trump to be the nominee, tell me this scenario. Tell me how he loses his lead. And, you know, the first seven answers are, well, in a debate, Da, 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 da. So if, if the debate is the most likely thing to bring him down, it doesn't really make sense for him to debate. And again, he said that publicly. But, you know, I prefer he go, not just because of, of the entertainment, but I think voters voters should see him on stage with some of these folks who are new to the national stage. But but uh, but it's hard to it's hard to make the case for why it's in his interest to go. And I don't see how the indictments would necessarily impact that. Now, I'll say one more thing real quick. I still believe, based on what I've been told, that this indictment may be, like the Mar-a-Lago one, uh, contains uh, uh, charges and evidence and, and statements from people close to him that will be pretty powerful. Will that change any minds within the party and people who support him now? No. If it does it pass this prologue, it'll make people more likely to support him. But let's wait and see. All this analysis of would the indictment make him more likely to go to the debate? Will the indictment hurt his poll standing? Will the indictment change, you know, people's attitudes around DeSantis? Will indictment change how the other candidates talk about Trump indictments? Let's see what's in it, because I think there's not a zero chance that what's in it changes the game on all those scores. Did you did you mean to suggest a moment ago that if you were at Ladbrokes or in Vegas, literally tomorrow is the day, the 27th of July, Thursday, you think it's going to happen? The third indictment? If I, if I had to pick one day, I'd pick tomorrow. Do you care to share why? 
Well, the main reason is uh, two Trump sources have told me that, <laughs> that they think okay. it's tomorrow. And then okay. one of them one of them suggested it in a kind of a hazy way. The other hmm. one said it like it's happening tomorrow. Hmm. So, okay. So that's why. That's why. Now, I don't know that they really know. I don't even know that his lawyers know for sure. And I still think it's more likely to happen on a Friday than a Thursday. But but that's why I say if you're betting on one day, I'd bet on tomorrow. I will speak to you. I think if they'd done it on the day day of Hunter's thing, it would have been madness. Oh, yeah. For sure. Accusation. So, um, yeah, you'll speak to me. Not next week, right? We're off next week. Right. You're off. Week after. Yeah. Look, looking forward. And Mark, you know, just given the nature of of this cycle, I can't imagine what will transpire just in the the two weeks until we chat again. I'm sure it's going to be a hell of a lot. If only TC would allow me to come on more than once a week. I know. She's the gatekeeper. Uh, She's thank like, you, Mark, sir. you're already slight. You're already slightly overexposed. That's an exact quote. from <laughs> Thank you, Mark. I'll thank chat you. With Have you a soon. great. Have a great week. And I'll see you in two weeks. Take care. Yeah, you. Thank you for that. Mark Halpern, the wide world of news. This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Interesting, TC, that we played in the first hour of the program when Joe Biden told Steve Ducey back during the camp, never, right? You want to, you want to do that again? No, you don't want to do that again. Okay. 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 What is it you wish to do now? Uh, the audio that I have queued up for yes, now, yes, right. yes. this would be the um, what you've mentioned about Corrine Jean-Pierre, what you and Mark just talked about, how the, the messaging has, has shifted, and I'm not going to say slightly, I'm going to say has shifted to never discuss, to never in business. And here's how that question and answer went down. Uh, Chairman James Comer today says that the oversight committee, excuse me, has evidence that the president in the past communicated directly with foreign business associates of his son Hunter Biden many times. Curious if the White House and the president still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even uh, spoken to his son about his business. So I've been, I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president ha- was never in business with his son. <laughs> I just don't have anything else to add. <laughs> Nothing's going to change. And then it changed. A million times. A million was times. Was never in business with his son. So let me give you a new answer. Wow, that was really interesting. And she asked the question exactly yeah. as we would, you would have asked. Like, he is never discussed. Yes. But she didn't answer that question. A- asked it very well. Remember, that is the poll question. We've spent a lot of time on that already today. I'll continue to discuss it if you care to. I'm kind of more interested in hearing your thoughts as to whether, less than a month from now, is Donald Trump going to show up on that debate stage August 23rd? The Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124, and on the SXM app. I'm not going to steal the thunder of Brian in Chester Springs, Pennsylvania, but he's got a hell of an idea. Uh, Brian, go ahead, lay it out for everybody. This is with regard to the first Republican debate scheduled for August 23rd in Wisconsin. Yeah, Mike. How you doing? Uh, yeah, if I if I'm Trump and his people, I, I set up a uh, an Eli and Peyton Manning type uh, broadcast where they're actually watching the debate. Uh, but obviously, I'd pick a Fox uh, host or two and uh, just have Trump sitting on the couch commenting on the on the debate. I think that would be huge ratings. 
I'm putting I'm putting aside whatever the rights issues might be to be able to sit there looking at a Fox feed, but not on a Fox affiliate, because that's what it would require. So I'm going to like suspend belief for a second. And I'm going to agree with you that it would be incredible television. And I have to acknowledge that probably the best person, TC, to host that would be not me. No, you No, Tucker. Oh, can you imagine? It'd be Tucker. Oh, my gosh. It would be Tucker Carlson. It would be a and. And he'd be, it'd be crazy. Yeah, it'd be Brian, bonkers. It would be bonkers. Yeah, Brian, it would be bonkers. He'd, like, he'd be sitting there and for shits and giggles, <laughs> all the, he'd be making all the fun names, of them. All and, the names, all the nicknames yep. that he has, what yes. they all look like. Yes. It would be insane. Yeah, like live yep. from Bedminster. Yep. Oh. Yeah, yep. Brian, you're right. All right. Have a good day. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, brilliance, absolute uh, brilliance. Uh, Jason, Tampa, Florida, you most wanted to say what? Uh, I agree with you that it would be awesome if Tucker did that, but I don't think there's any way that Trump appears for uh, the uh, debate, and he's got too big of a lead, and I just don't see that happening, and in particular also with all the litigation going on. I mean, the, the, only, the only thing that, that causes me to say, hold on a second, is the prospect of the indictment occurring very soon, and Mark seems to think maybe even tomorrow or Friday. Um, if if this I don't expect to happen, but I'm just thinking out loud, if this indictment were brought forth and immediately there were a shift in Trump's numbers and why would there be when there hasn't been from the first two? Well, because of some major revelation and now his numbers drop, then I could see him showing up. Then I could see him showing up. Otherwise, and and what might that element be? I don't know. Mark Meadows, you know, Meadows, his former chief chief of staff, having totally turned on him. Maybe that's it. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.